You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! going on guys welcome to another episode of peer pleasure with dewey halpus on equal vision records and sound talent media i am dewey your host with the most bringing you more great content week after week this week guys we have another part two with one of my favorite musicians of all time mr aaron b turner from isis from sumac from old man gloom as you guys know isis is my favorite band and i was stoked to get aaron back on the show what a fantastic conversation. The first time we had Aaron on the show was the first time I'd ever called a landline phone to do an episode. As you know, I used to do a lot of them on the phone. I've been doing a lot of them on Zoom as of lately. But the first time using a landline phone on the podcast was with Aaron. And this time we did Zoom. It was much better. And it was nice to be able to look at each other and, and do this thing. So thank you guys so much for coming back week after week. Uh, I, this is a good one. This is a really good one. So Uh, Let's get some business out of the way, and we'll jump right in. PeerPleasurePodcast.com is the website. PeerPleasurePod at gmail.com is the email. Uh, If you want to get in touch with me, guest ideas, anything like that, we are booked up pretty solid for the near future. So guest ideas, welcome to send them. Maybe they're already scheduled, but it may be a while till we get to them. Uh, But go ahead and send them anyway. I always appreciate getting those in the comments. And and go rate and review the show as well. That really helps us out. And there's also the Peer Pleasure Podcast Inner Circle Facebook group. Go check that out. Uh, Sign up. It's a private group. but You can sign up and we'll we'll add you in and you can join the conversations. Lots of cool stuff going on in there. You get to find out who's coming on early. 
Um, once I'm done with an interview, I usually post a screenshot of the Zoom um, and talk about it a little bit. Keeps people in the loop on what's coming up and, and what's in the hopper. So uh, thank you guys for all of you who have joined the Facebook group so far. And we have more people joining every day. It's fantastic. All right, guys. So this is a good one. I want to jump right into it. Uh, my buddy Aaron Turner from ISIS and Sumac. Can you hear me okay then now? Yeah, I can hear you fine. It's just the internet was uh, was just cutting out for a second, which hopefully will not happen again. But okay, uh, we do live uh, out in the woods, and everything here is unpredictable. Yeah. Uh, and it's quite stormy outside, which occasionally will cause the internet to go out because it's connected to the electricity. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> let's, let's just give it a shot and see what yeah. happens. <laughs> I think the last time you were on, I think you you were still, you're still on Vashon, right? Yep. Okay. So the last time we chatted, I think it was over a landline. I think that's literally the only time I've used a landline except for Mike Watt on this podcast, like 200 episodes. And I was so excited. Yeah. I was like, it's going to sound awesome because it's connected. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and it probably didn't because the phones we've been using for our landline all come from the thrift store here and they're like, not good phones and so we'll have one for about a year and then we'll have to throw it away because it dies they're all from you know the time when landlines were still relevant so anyway yeah like an emerson or yeah. whatever it is from walmart they yeah used to sell. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah you have to go rotary soon man just really yeah well we've got we've we we actually had a rotary connected oh to God. our landline initially <laughs> i love that i love that yeah yeah well, at least and it functioned for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that that primitive stuff, it 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 lasted back then. It lasted back then for a long time it seemed like. I don't remember replacing phones very often. Yeah, I mean, you know, with things now we get new phones like what every 2, 3, 4 years. I think my parents had the same phone in our kitchen for the entire time we lived in that house, so you yeah. know, 13, 14 years. <laughs> yeah. You think of the abuse. Yeah. I guess it's already had that life before it goes to the thrift store. So you're just getting like yeah, the tail. Yeah, end. exactly. Yeah. And it's just been <laughs> sitting there. Yeah. Man. How has been going through this whole situation out on Vashon? Like it is much changed for you? I mean, it seems like you guys are kind of off to yourself anyways, quite a bit over there. 
Uh, I mean, the most obvious change is just that I'm not touring and, um, that is very low on the list of problems that people in the world are experiencing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, so I won't, uh, moan about that too much. Uh, however, I will say that that, uh, just in my personal sphere is a bummer. Just, you know, I mean, for one, because playing music live is one of my, ultimate joys in life and the thing I feel like I was made to do. Um, but then the other factor is just that that was the way for me often to be able to socialize, um, through the, the interactions with my band members, but also just going on tour is how I was able to see friends that I don't really get to see any other way. Absolutely. Um, so that's, that's the biggest change, um, for us. Um, Otherwise, our life at home is not terribly different. Um, uh, Vashon as a community, I feel like, is pretty conscientious, um, both in terms of a willingness to um, observe what seems to be the prudent protocols about wearing masks and social distancing, but also um, with a fairly aware sense of the social upheaval that's been going on over the last year and, and, and uh, kind of community togetherness around uh, the, the fight for equity. So, um, you know, I feel pretty lucky to be where we are, I have to say. And uh, also having immediate access to the natural world has been a sanity saver. Um, we can go out into the forest every day with our kid, uh, go swimming in the ocean. You know, (laughs) these are, these are things that, um, might be difficult to do in, uh, other places I've lived. Um, so I'm glad to, I'm very glad to be where we are and glad that I get along with my family. Yeah. That's a big one, man. That's what I think a lot of people are figuring out that they don't get along with their family. You know, it's, it's trying times, man. That's beautiful. You can go out like we're in, we're in Portland, so we're not that far away, but I mean, we can go out into the woods if we want, but it's a little bit of a drive. You know what I mean? You have so much nature around you. That's what I grew up in and I miss really bad from Alaska, but man, yeah, that's awesome. Well, so how old is your son now? He's four. Four. Okay. So you guys haven't really started much of the distance learning stuff or anything like that. It's not quite the preschool, right? He's, he is able to go to school. Um, uh, he is doing in-person school. Uh, it's a school that does, um, outdoor classes. So that's a small group of kids. They're outside for the entire class period, which is three hours a day, four days a week. And all the kids are wearing masks. So, you know, it's not, it's not a hundred percent safe, but honestly, you know, at this point in his development, I would be concerned for, um, his future if he were just shut up and away from other kids. So mm-hmm. I, that's another thing I'm grateful for is that this is an option for us here. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's fantastic. What is your, what does your creative process look like since you've been home so much? I mean, if you're, if you got tour after tour, I mean, put it this way on tour, are you still creating? Like, I know you're probably doing artwork and stuff, but are you still creating music when you're touring, I know there's some improvisational stuff going on with Sumac that you're always creating, but are you writing new music on the road when you're touring or is it pretty much when you're home? No, it's all at home. I mean, the, 
the the process of playing live over the last couple of years has been pretty crucial for Sumac just because playing night after night and incorporating those improvised sections into our songs really helps us develop as improvisers and helps us grow as a unit in that regard. So that is, um, it's not the equivalent of writing new music necessarily, but it is a developmental part of our ongoing growth. Um, so that can't happen at the moment, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, I've never, I've never been one of those people that writes music on tour. I just, you know, I don't have the bandwidth to do that. Uh, I feel like so much energy is poured into the hour or whatever it is on stage that pretty much the rest of the time is spent kind of um, rebuilding necessary energy uh, to be able to do that nightly. Um, I mean, obviously there's, the, there's the, all the other tasks around it as well. Um, but I just don't feel creatively inspired throughout the rest of the day when I'm on tour. I pretty much just want to listen to music in the van. Um, and I enjoy doing merch at the show. Uh, I feel like I have to be doing something, um, to keep myself occupied, but I don't, I don't bring like a mobile recording unit on tour or anything like that. It doesn't, mm -hmm. I, I don't feel like I could concentrate yeah okay well like on the on the flip side of that now that you've been home all this time what yep. has that done to your creative process just supercharged it or is it still like no huh okay no it's kind of it's kind of flattened out over this last year and um i felt pretty discouraged by kind of mid 2020 in terms of the prospect of shows coming back anytime soon mm -hmm. uh and there was some sort of almost internal protest uh, that I felt like was transpiring where I just refused to play guitar because I was upset I couldn't go out and do it in the world, <laughs> which yeah. sounds counterproductive. And it is yeah. because this obviously could be a time where uh, I could be you know, spending a lot of time practicing and writing. Um, that said, I have not been, um, I haven't been just sitting around doing nothing by any means. I've used my creative energies in a lot of other ways. Um, most specifically, uh, working on the label stuff, uh, that faith and I do a siege, mm -hmm. um, we have done a lot of releases in the last year, uh, some of them physical, a lot of them digital, and many of them geared towards raising uh, money for mutual aid uh, organizations and um, some COVID relief stuff as well. And that actually, to me, felt like kind of a crucial thing to do right now. Um, and given my inability to, to really be making music at the moment that was also a good way to channel my energy in another direction so that's been that's been great i feel like it's a very um 
inspiring use of time, a very connective activity amongst our community, and also a nice way to be able to have a positive impact um, during a time that is collectively pretty difficult for very many people. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also there was also a part of of me that felt like spending all my time, you know, sitting in my studio, our home studio, writing music was kind of selfish, <laughs> <laughs> um, given everything that's been going on. And I had this conversation with quite a few other fellow artists too, just thinking about what is what can our art mean during this time? And ultimately I've, I've come around to the idea that art is crucial during this time. Um, but I've just been kind of focusing on different aspects of my creativity and also helping, you know, um, provide a platform for other people's creativity as well. Cause that seems just like the thing to do right now. Yeah, it definitely does. It definitely does. And, and, I I agree with what you're saying with art being important now. I mean, more than ever, like this is, it seems like art, like artistic people to me, it seems like are here for a very specific reason to help the people that maybe aren't as artistic or, or able to do these things, painting, uh, music, any of these things to pull them up and pull, lift their spirits up in times of need, in times of stress, in times of, you know, when the, the rat race of the world gets in the way, music is there, you know, art is there, that they're almost like a, a version of like a healer where in, in, a, in a tribal situation where they're needed, they're needed extremely bad. And especially now when everything's kind of going down the drain a little bit, I mean, well, that's an understatement, but you know, like driving through downtown Portland, I take my kids. So my studio is in downtown Portland now. And I take my son to watch these trains at this train stop in Portland. He loves trains. And I drive him through downtown every day just to kind of expose him to what's going on. They ask really yeah. intelligent questions, but also they want to see all the artwork that's on all the plywood. And like, yeah. they find the beauty in it. You know, they're not scared. Yeah. But they're like, oh, I want to see these trash cans because they went through and did all the trash cans in Portland with really cool artwork on them. And they call it the trash art and they want to see it. So I take them every day down there and drive past and that lifts them up. They're not scared anymore. They're not, you know, it's very important. I agree. Yeah. And I I think, um, I think one of the, the challenges during this last year is that everybody has been at home or not everybody, but many people have been at home and just kind of glued to their devices, reading the news. And, uh, I feel like that's problematic, um, in one way because people aren't interacting with each other and they're just kind of chained to their electronics, which is, you know, kind of, unhealthy on a variety of levels. Um, but also, you know, the information that we, uh, receive through media is very clearly, um, distort a distorted version of reality. And so one of the major functions that I think art can serve right now is offering people an alternate, perspective on what reality is and it can remind people of the deeper experiences of what it is to be human and offer a reflection of the world that in many ways even if it's highly abstracted i think 
has more to do with what the world actually is than a lot of the information that we are subjugated to through um, not just news, but, you know, all of the, uh, the streaming service content that people are um, understandably uh, <laughs> gobbling up just to while away the hours or to, to, you know, get their minds off things. Yeah, the binge watching the yeah exactly yeah and that's not to say that some of that isn't art but a lot of it really is just um filler yeah i agree i agree there's definitely some good stuff out there but a lot of it is really just filler 100 percent. you know and and having like in this time for me i would want to see what uh, my favorite artists are experiencing, you know, like see what their output is, how they're reacting to this, you know, cause I know how yeah. I'm reacting. Um, and that's something that's going to be interesting to see as time rolls on. And then the other thing with what you're saying with the news, do you remember when Tom Petty passed away and they like announced it early? Like it hadn't quite, he wasn't, I don't remember if it, he, he hadn't passed away yet. Like he was close but they announced that he died and like six hours later was, it was official. So everyone yeah. like jumped on it and, and all said the same thing and then retracted it and then put it back out again. <laughs> like everyone wants to be first. So anything happens. So-and-so sneezes 17 different websites are like, it's in your feed or it's in your, if you go to Google or YouTube, it's all in your face and it may or may not be accurate. It's terrifying. Yeah, and I think that's been one of the major problems over the last year and one of the major problems of the last presidency is just that it really was a complete war on reality. And um, and obviously all art is subjective and anything that somebody as an artist puts out there is part of their unique vision. But again, I feel like what I experience in hearing other people's music is a more accurate depiction for me of what the world is than anything that I've been able to glean from reading shit off the internet. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> I think one of the biggest problems now, um, well, one of the many problems now is the fact that people are isolated and people are really in need of that connection. And while it doesn't... Um, it doesn't provide the same, um, the same kind of necessary um, life force that being together does. I think music provides an outlet for people to be connected even within isolation. Um, and I think that applies to other art forms as well, but there is something at least for me and from what I've discussed a lot of other people I know there's something uniquely unifying in music and something uniquely connective in music. Um, and, uh, for me, that's part of, that's part of the gift of music. That's been true, not just during this last year, but throughout my life. Mm -hmm. Um, so <laughs> again, uh, sort of echoing what you were saying a few minutes ago, I think perhaps it's actually more crucial now than it was before. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it really is. And it's, it's, 
have you done well, you haven't done any but have you watched any like the live stream stuff that bands have been doing in the meantime like i i mean thinking of music of unifying uh being a unifier would you think it could do it from a di- i know being in the room is a big thing but from a distance yeah. it could at least do something um yeah you know the same way um i haven't and that's not because i don't believe in the validity of that of that platform uh it's more just how my days are practically structured i generally just don't have the time to sit down and dedicate my attention solely to one thing um so just the idea of sitting down and watching an entire performance um even if it's by an artist that i really really enjoy is just not realistic for me if i have an hour in the day that i could do something like that i'm usually using it to do either my own art or to you know set up um all the administrative stuff around a release that we're doing for somebody else mm-hmm. um so so i do a lot of music listening throughout my day but it's almost always while i'm doing something else while i'm driving somewhere while i'm cooking uh while i'm doing a layout so in that way i can still absorb the music and appreciate it but you know the idea of sitting down and watching someone's concert right now is just mm-hmm. not just not realistic <laughs> and i also i also have to say again going back to what i was talking about earlier with kind of the internal revolt um it just depresses the shit out of me to think about this as being our reality right now yeah <laughs> like the idea of getting on a stage in an empty room to play a show to broadcast on the internet it's just like i can't i can't fucking do it And, um, you know, we have done a couple, we've done a couple performances in our studio space here that were recorded or broadcast and that was fun. But again, it was like a pale shadow of what it's like to actually be in a room with people and feel that collective energy being exchanged. Yeah. Um, and also just like, for me, one of the biggest things about live music is the physicality of it. And there's, I don't, you know, with the exception of people who maybe have some insane stereo systems, there's never going to be that physicality um, of being in a room in front of a wall of speakers and someone, you know, smashing away on a drum kit feet from your face. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no um, broadcastable uh, parallel that's going to satisfy or mean the same thing that that does in person. I, I agree. And from personally experiencing what you do as that person in front of that, uh, I can absolutely attest to that being true. I, I've talked about it many times on the show, whether it was with ISIS or Sumac or uh, just the feeling of being in that crowd and the the sheer volume, the power, you know, being packed in enough to where you can kind of just let your legs give out and just kind of like flow with everybody. Yeah. Experiencing, <laughs> you know, uh, cause what, what I come from music being on the stage too, but never anything of that much power. It was always mm-hmm. like, you know, different stuff, but that feeling of locking in with the drums and locking in with the, with everybody and kind of going off on these tangents that like unspoken like connection where you basically just yeah. coalesce together is exactly what I would see when you guys were playing. Like I could see it, like I could just see it. Yeah. And then I, all I wanted to do was experience that myself. And, uh, but yeah, that power, that, 
even just the kick drum coming through the monitors, like even it, for one in front of you, but through the monitors hitting your chest, like the wind from the amps, like uh, that, that, that you feeling it blowing your pant leg as you're just kind of like spacing out and just absorbing it all. And as, as you're outputting yeah. it, there's definitely no, no uh, substitute, but um, just the fact that it could maybe unify in another way from a distance um, was just something I was thinking about as we were, as we were going through that. But um, cause I haven't watched any of them. I haven't watched any yeah. live streams at all. Just that yeah. uh, two minutes to late night, I think is the one I've been watching that I do watch them on YouTube, like later yeah. on, or, or I forget, I think Nate did one. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it, it was awesome to watch, but it's definitely not the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm very interested to see how so many people have adapted to this time. And I think that there are a lot of really amazing things that have come out of it. I mean, Bandcamp Friday, for instance, mm -hmm. I think has become a really crucial thing where it's encouraging people to come together in the musical community to support each other. And given it's coming from a corporation whose main interest, of course, is to make money, but what has happened is that it's created an interesting stopgap where artists can um, release interesting archival material or it gives artists kind of like a uh, an imposed deadline to work towards. And uh, what I've seen just from people who have responded to the things that we've put out is it shows how willing people are to come together in different ways as kind of a stopgap measure to support um, this underground network and also to, um, you know, sustain it until we can return to some, hopefully return to some semblance of what we had before. Yeah. Yeah. The band, the, the band camp thing I thought was really I, almost something special that they would offer something like that because it doesn't seem like yeah. anyone else will, you know, you know, I know I've, I've, somewhat know your feelings on Spotify with Sumac and, <laughs> and those ridiculous comments. That dude is, that dude's something else. But, uh, you know, from a podcasting side, giving Joe Rogan a hundred million dollars to come to Spotify and paying bands, absolute bullshit. <laughs> like, where does that come from? Where does that go? And what does that bring in? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's insane. Like where <laughs> I, I just don't get it. I don't get it yeah. at all. Well, I guess one of the things I've kind of started to realize or maybe just the way I've started to shift my perspective is when I first started doing a record label and then shortly thereafter started being in a band, um, there was no expectation of having a broad reach. It was really all coming from this um, this set of ideas about just reaching people within your local community, working on a DIY level to spread the word um, through zines and through record trading and through small tours and through, you know, mail orders and maybe a few uh, interesting shops here and there. But nobody in our realm ever expected to have their records, you know, at Sam Goody or whatever, you know, the, the chain stores were. Nobody expected their records to be available to everyone everywhere. So in a certain way, um, 
I feel like we've shifted back towards an altered version of what things were like in, you know, the mid nineties or early nineties when I first started getting into this, into this world where it was like, you know, you do what you can to reach people and your goals have to be sincere, sincerely oriented towards the art because the idea of commercial success, um, you know, is non-existent if you're doing something that is, you know, even slightly left field. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't agree with how Spotify does business. Um, I think that that mindset that that guy is espousing is abhorrent at the same time. I also feel like, you know, people who are operating in our world kind of just have to forget that. And because that world is never, never going to care about supporting underground art. And so we just have to band together as a community to continue to support each other and remind each other that, you know, there is only, um, there is really only each other. And the only thing that we can do is just try to put out things that are coming from a sincere place and try to reach the people for whom that will mean something. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know, (laughs) that's kind of a peripheral tangent to the Spotify thing, but, uh, I will say that again, even though Bandcamp is, um, is clearly profiting off of their, off of the platform they've provided. I also think it's a great gesture what they've done in terms of offering this, um, you know, this opportunity for a lot of underground artists uh, and fans of underground art to have a more free and uninhibited exchange that uh, really helps also support the artists. And um, I think it also encourages a lot of people to do benefit releases for various things, kind of like what we've been doing with Siege. I've seen a lot of other people using Bandcamp Friday as a way to raise money for things that they believe in. And I think that's pretty interesting as well. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing I was thinking as, as, as we're talking here is, is, well, I feel bad for for the new generation that's not going to necessarily experience going to the record store and buying an album, taking it home and listening to it, holding it, smelling it, l- looking at the liner notes, looking at the artwork. And as someone who designs a lot of album artwork like you do, has there been projects that have come through now that, that where you actually lay it out for digital specifically versus in actual like designing it for vinyl and then they'll get you'll get a jpeg of it to put up for the digital or have you actually had to now shift to designing just for digital when you're doing a layout i i don't i mean there are certain things as i said with siege that we've done as digital only releases um and so we kind of know that we're just designing for a flat square on a screen yeah uh but the, the approach isn't really all that different basically it's um, kind of the same way I think about music, whether or not someone's going to be listening to it on a turntable or through the speaker on their iPhone, it doesn't really matter to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to just make a song that resonates for me and I want to make an album cover that has an interesting connection to the music that it's representing. representing. Um, so I guess in some ways my approach is kind of anachronistic and I am fine with that. I'm fine with, to some extent being, um, you know, 
out of touch with the times mm-hmm. uh, on the on the same by the same token I feel like if we're making something that is truly passionate it will connect with people who are coming at it from all different angles and through all different channels and all different means mm-hmm. so um, you know I'm bummed to think that there's some people who will never hold a record that I've made in their hands but at the same time if they're getting something out of the music that's that's the most important thing yeah um, I mean I've always been I've always been a deep devotee of the of the physical incarnation of records and that has always been an important aspect of what I do with the presentation of physical releases and I've always hoped that by putting all of that effort into that aspect of a records presentation other people will get a they'll receive a deeper appreciation of the record as a whole by looking at the artwork and looking at you know the way things are put together and reading the lyrics and and interacting with it as an object um, because i do think that that is a very different experience at the same time it is undeniable that the music is first and foremost and just thinking back to being a child, um, some of the first really potent musical experiences for me were tapes that people made for me where, you know, it was like either a mix of a whole bunch of different artists or it'd be like one record on one side and one on the other, no artwork included. And, you know, that was, that was enough for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you seen that, that documentary cassette? I haven't. Oh, Aaron, you got to watch it, dude. It's so good. It fired me up on cassettes again so hard. The guy yeah. that actually invented cassettes is on the documentary, like, and they're going to all these labels that only do cassettes and, like, talking about that whole subculture of tape trading. It's, uh, it, it, will, it will bring back so much nostalgia for you, it's, and it's done so well. Uh, yeah. It's it's incredible. I, I was stoked. I, I like, I paid and rented it on iTunes because I couldn't yeah. find it anywhere else. Um, yeah. And it do, it's a worthwhile watch, but it, that whole, that whole era, like that was a whole, like a time, like I can remember where I bought like records or bought or got, got tapes. Like I remember exactly, like I remember buying Oceanic at Amoeba with my first record label advance money. It was like a grand. And I, yeah. I, I, I bought a disc man and I bought yeah. Oceanic and I bought, uh, um, oh man, there's a couple, there's a couple records I bought there, but I remember going and picking it up because, uh, a, a mutual kind of buddy of ours, Aaron edge here in Portland, who is the art director for Southern Lord for a while. Uh, I think he does photos for you guys when you guys come through, um, yeah. good friends with Nate. He introduced me to ISIS. I had never heard any of your music before. And yeah. he was doing our album artwork. We went to LA to start doing some shows and I started buying them up and like getting into and like this is incredible stuff. And uh, speaking of him, he had a funny thing to, to bring up to you because uh, I told him I was talking to you tonight, and he's like, "Ask him about the old man gloom at Hotmail Gmail or uh, email account." He said that, that you would send him an email saying, "Hey," uh, they, they, telling him he's not the real old man gloom, but you are, and he should ingest. Uh, what did he say? He said, uh, or basically telling him that you were joking, but he had the yeah. email address and that was like his first <laughs> communication with you was you are not the real no. old man. I am the old man. Gloop. And, uh, 
he, he was just, oh, we were laughing about it. But um, anyways, but that experience, like I remember it to this day. I bought so many records, but I remember where I got most of them, you know? Yeah. And what I'm getting at is there's there's this thing I've talked about on the show before where uh, in college, I, we had did this class on photography and um, basically talking about how photography kind of killed uh, art at that point because these paintings that were done before photography was a thing were meant to be seen under a certain light in a certain room. Like it was set up to be seen, but now you can pull it up in like an airplane bathroom on your cell phone. It's kind of similar to where music was meant to like, you make the music, you know, to be heard a certain way or, or in a certain place. And then, but then people can listen to it anywhere. And it's not in that, you know, like a speaker on the iPhone versus a nice, you know, turntable or yeah. a live experience kind of like seeing sun in the daytime at a festival like it's yeah. not the same you know? yeah uh but yeah that's something I, I just think about all the time it's just the way things were meant by the artist to be ingested or or you know yeah i mean as musicians there's since the advent of the phonograph record there's been a major loss of control over that i mean you just have to assume that you know people are going to experience your record numerous different ways based upon where they're listening to it, at what volume, what else is going on in the room that they're in. So there's a degree of control you just have to let go of. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's been another series of steps with that along the way. I mean, uh, since the advent of digital music, we've had to give up on the idea of records being a surprise anymore. Um, I mean, now people are doing surprise releases with no advance warning, which I think is cool. But, you know, I'm just going back to, you know, older models. We used to have to wait for records and you would have no idea what it sounded like or looked like prior to it being released. And so, you know, these are all just steps along a path of uh, evolution. And uh, I think we just have to take it in stride and everybody just has to do what they feel like is the best thing for their art. And some people just don't care. And that's fine too. I mean, there's, it's, it serves music serves so many different purposes for people that you can't possibly, um, you can't possibly craft something that is going to serve all purposes for all people. And you can't craft something and deliver it in such a way that people will experience it exactly as you intend for them to experience it. Um, so really, again, I think it just boils down to people doing things in a sincere fashion and going back to what we were talking about earlier, I'm disappointed that, you know, people aren't buying as many physical records as they used to. Um, but at the same time, I'm not going to try to, tailor my art to uh, fit seamlessly into all the different ways that people are now consuming art. And I think that there is something, not something undignified, but there's something that's kind of disingenuous where people, especially as they age, try to to try to keep up with the times and 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 purposely gear what they're doing to um essentially market it effectively to younger generations or people in different demographics because that always ends up just 
resulting in a diluted product. So for me, you know, if, if it gets to the point where most of the people who are buying our records and listening to our music are essentially the same age as us <laughs> and it's not reaching a lot of young people, that'll be a bummer. But at the same time, the, again, the most important thing is I want the music to reach people for whom it will mean something. And however that happens is great. Um, but I just need to do what I'm going to do and believe that that is going to be enough to, um, create a bridge to other people for whom it will have an impact. Absolutely. My friend, it's, it's, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you a, a little bit on being a father. Do you, do you tailor your listening in the home, uh, to, to your son? Like, do you, do you, do you, do you let him listen to like what you want to listen to, like try to expose him to everything? Or are you careful with what you expose him to? I'm curious on that. Uh, yes and no. Um, so he's now at an age where he's starting to express his own interests in music. And we've certainly played things for him that we think he will like. And, um, you know, his favorite song right now is here comes Santa Claus. And I, you know, we hear it all damn day, whether we're playing, whether we're playing it or whether he's singing it. Uh -huh. Um, but ever since he was little, we have intentionally been playing all kinds of music, all the stuff that we listen to. Um, uh, I have had to modify it a little bit, um, in terms of not having, not playing music that has very easily deciphered swears in it mm -hmm. because now he is definitely at the phase where he's repeating things and he knows what curse words are. He knows they're illicit. And if he hears one, his ears perk up uh -huh. and you know, then he'll repeat it. So, you know, we have to be a little careful about that. But other than that, I mean, he gets, you know, classical music, harsh noise, death metal, our music, whatever it is that we feel like listening to, um, you know, uh, and, uh, it's interesting to watch his reactions because sometimes he'll get really amped up when we're listening to like a totally abstract free jazz record. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he'll get really freaked out by the certain timbre of somebody's voice. And I think it really has to do more with the atmosphere and the energy of the music and maybe how he is feeling at that moment than it does with genre or anything else. Um, I grew up in a household with a somewhat broad musical palette and I feel like that was pretty helpful for me. Um, and I grew up hearing a lot of jazz, which I think was especially helpful for my, for my mental music development. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for him, you know, I'm very aware that he is going to develop his own very specific and very personal interests at the same time, having him hear music from all parts of the world made by all different sorts of people that manifest in totally different forms, I think is really, really, um, I hope, a, a helpful thing for him. Um, I, I think there's no doubt that people benefit from being exposed to a wide array of experiences and, What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms, 
They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down! The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website there's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest. Uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. 
Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So, so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month, because I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. We're trying to educate him all by all available means. And music, I think, is one of the best things because, again, it's a very unifying experience to hear music. And you can connect with something, even if you don't understand the language, you can understand and, and, and vibrate with the frequencies and the heart of the people who are making it. Absolutely. And you can have – you can put on, like – you could put on like a go-go record from DC, like back in the day, or you can put on like a something from like the desert music festival over in Africa, like any place that you fear or you hear something about on the news, you can put on what they project, like what they actually create as a people and really get way more information about that place and the people than you'll ever see on the internet, like with, with the news, you know what I mean? Like you can feel the emotion, you can feel the pain, you can feel the happiness, but you feel their collective like output. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's amazing. It's just in an yeah. invisible vibration that just, there's nothing. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy yeah. to think about. Yeah. And it's funny now that you, now that you've posed this question, I'm thinking uh, about it a little bit more deeply. And I do realize that over the last year, we have intentionally been playing a lot of music in the household, part, uh, partly because it's music we personally enjoy, but also for Ashley's benefit, playing a lot of music by radical black artists and, and artists of color, because again, you know, this is not too early for him to be having this his consciousness raised about these things. And I feel like, again, you know, we might not be able to develop uh, or delve into super linguistically complex discussions around these things, but just to have the experience of hearing the music and maybe giving him a little bit of context is going to be a way for him to enter the world in a less myopic way. Yes. It's like an, did you ever get an allergy test when you were a kid? where they stuck you with like 17 different needles just to see yeah. what would react. It's the same yeah. thing, man. It's the same thing. You get exposed to it all like a whole bunch and then something sticks, something it's like, Oh, that doesn't make me feel very good. That makes me feel great. Like that makes me normal. That's my normal and, uh, or typical. And, uh, it's, I think of it the same way as like an allergy test as a child, as you're getting exposed, you know, over and over again, the next time you're exposed to it, you may be more open to it. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That said, <laughs> uh, you know, his favorite song is Here Comes Santa Claus, yeah. sung by Gene Autry, arranged by Phil Spector. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, at the same time, his first, the first song he was super psyched on was Little Richard's Tutti Fruity. So, you know, I, I just trust that, you know, we're providing a good framework and he'll follow his own path and hopefully have a broad perspective of the world coming out of the gates. Dude, yeah. I, I was mentioning when we froze in the beginning, when we froze up, I don't know if I, I had HR from bad brains on yesterday and I actually got to like talk to my kids about the bad brains and have them actually like pay attention and like get yeah. to show them videos and stuff. And then I showed them the video of HR and I, and they're like, man, he is a lot older than he looks in these videos and he absolutely is. But getting to connect with that, with my kids too, like it was, it was awesome to expose them that they didn't like the music at all. Like they, they thought it was just crazy. But yeah, they've been exposed to it now. And in a little bit of a deeper level, there's a story behind it for them with me. And then uh, maybe down the road, something will hit them and, and they'll they'll be into it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I wish I wish I had a more diverse musical upbringing. So when I first heard Jane Doe by Converge, I didn't give it away because it made me upset, yeah. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> I wish I would have just embraced it then instead of later. And, uh, yeah, but those records that upset you can often be the ones that end up having the biggest impact. I mean, that was certainly the case for me encountering things that I felt at first, but really off putting later, I was realized that, you know, that kind of being taken aback by something is actually, you know, a far more potent reaction and maybe a pathway to engagement than if you experience something and you're just going, you know, no reaction or it's just like, yeah, this is cool. You know, a mildly positive reaction for me is less interesting than a really like, um, you know, a really unsettled response to something. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's that's one of my favorite records of all time. Now I gave it away twice. I gave it two chances <laughs> and I gave it away twice once on vinyl and once on CD. And now I was telling Nate this when he came on, like I, I, him and Kurt both, I've just, I have to admit this to you. I gave away that record a couple times. Like I hated it. And now it's one of my top five. Like yeah. I love it. But, uh, it's, it's just crazy to think about, you know, what we get exposed to, how, how it's going to affect us later. And, and what you're saying with that, um, that like kind of taking a back reaction is something I definitely listen to now as before I just get upset and like, rah, you know, whatever. But I'm now that that's happened to me and I've come back around enough times. Now that's like, well, why did that make me feel that way? I'm going to check yeah. that out again. You know? <laughs> yeah. Do you remember yeah. stuff like specific that did that to you early on? Um, one good example is I remember seeing a Godflesh video. Mm. It was either on 120 minutes or a headbangers ball, one of those late night MTV shows. And it was a, a early era Godflesh. And I just remember looking at the visuals and hearing the music and just being like, what the fuck is this? And it wasn't, it wasn't immediately repellent. It wasn't like I hated it, but I was just like, I don't understand what's going on here. Yeah. And I had, I had a similar reaction to getting the carcass symphonies of sickness record. Um, I was going to a local record store in Santa Fe and there was an older metalhead there and he sold me I think I bought a Guns N' Roses tape there around the time Appetite of Destruction 
coming out. Mm -hmm. And then maybe like, you know, a year or, or so later I went back and he suggested I get and justice for all. Cause that had just come out. And that was like a fucking game changer for me. And then maybe a year or two later, I went back again and he gave me a promo copy of symphonies of sickness. And I went home and I put it on and I just, I could not comprehend what I was hearing in a certain way. I mean, it was the production at that point for me was pretty lo-fi. You know, I'd been getting into a lot of metal, a lot of the, you know, the big four, as far as the thrash stuff goes. And Mm -hmm. that was kind of what my ear was attuned to. So hearing this record that was so dense and so, um, muddy and so dissonant and had the super garbled vocals out. I, I really, I, I think I might've had a slight fear response at first where I just, you know, I was like, I don't, this is actually kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that was, that was another one of those things where later on, you know, after that kind of initial shock dissonance, um, suffocating production, uh, and a willingness to, you know, turn metal into something that is at times borderline abstract became, you know, kind of the pinnacles of my interest. So yeah, that's, that's definitely been a repeat experience for me over and over at a young age. And even still, you know, that'll happen where I'll hear something and I'll, you know, feel like it's twisting something in my inner ear and not, you know, it's making me queasy. And then, that for me, again, as you were saying, is now like a clue that I need to dig in deeper and find out what's going on there. Yeah. It's those little feelers that those little, uh, yeah. Yeah. The hairs on the back of your neck, no more than you do, you know, like they just start yeah. like, it's that primal response. Absolutely. Yeah. It's absolutely that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, so that have you played that carcass record around your son? See what happens to. No. Uh, no, but he has heard a lot of very dissonant, very obtuse metal, death metal, black Mm -hmm. metal. And, and, uh, you know, as I said earlier, it's some really harsh noise stuff and he does not seem bothered by it in the least. And in fact, when he was, uh, quite a bit younger, one of the things we would do occasionally just to get him to nap during the day was to take him for a drive in the car. And if there was a metal record with a lot of double bass, it was like an instant soother for him. Wow. And he just conk, he conk right out. And uh, Faith and I have wondered if part of the reason for that is because when she was seven months pregnant, we did a sumac mammifer tour in Europe. So every night, you know, when he was in utero, he was sitting up there on stage while Faith was playing organ and getting these super heavy bass frequencies rumbling that amniotic fluid. And then, you know, after Mammifer, he would be, you know, getting pummeled sometimes at a distance or sometimes closer up by the PA when Sumac was playing. So, you know, those kind of things might have paved the way for him in a certain direction. Dude, absolutely. Could you imagine hearing what you guys do like upside down in a bucket of water? Like just <laughs> the, <laughs> and then I, like 
you know isolation chamber yeah it sounds that sounds sounds very appealing honestly maybe maybe that's the future of live music is everyone will get in in isolation tanks and (laughs) just receive it that way it sounds that sounds more appealing to me than broadcasted internet shows it's gonna be like the matrix everyone's in womb sacks just hanging in the in a cavern (laughs) while you (laughs) there's a uh there's this band, this this like jam. I don't know if you, and you probably don't, because I don't, I don't listen to it either. But there's like this, this jam band kind of thing, right? They're like the 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 fish and um, this band. There's a band called Umphreys McGee, and the only reason I'm bringing this up is because, yeah, exactly. I've <laughs> they rent headphones to their audience that gets a direct soundboard uh, feed. Uh-huh. So you can be in the crowd hearing what they hear in their in-ears, like perfectly mixed from the front of house. And it's actually like people like rent these and then return them at the end of the show, but they get to experience the show Gross. as the that's band. What I, that's what I think. Gross. Yeah. Yes. Especially now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, that when I was thinking the womb sacks, like be hearing it, you know, all a different way, hearing yeah. exactly the mix that the band's hearing especially with that stuff like the oh my god i won't even go into that that's, that's a whole other realm uh it sounds not good because board mixes are usually very unappealing and uh, i yeah. think there is something about the music traveling through the air that change that changes it and makes it more enjoyable but anyway yeah well well speaking of being on stage with with faith like there's always a thing like a married couple that works together, like, and they go home and they have nothing to talk about because they might work together all day. Collaborating with Faith with music, uh, do you find it a lot different than collaborating with with others like Brian and and uh, like or Joe Preston or someone you know like? Do you still find it like as exciting since you spend so much time together already? Is it um, easier? It's harder. It's harder. And okay. I think it's I think it's because we have a different kind of intimacy in our relationship. And for me, um, I am more challenged by the kind of personal relationship that I have with her as my partner than I am by the kind of relationships I have with friends. And I think that that's that's to be expected. You can never have the same level of intimacy and there aren't the same kind of issues that arise, um, amongst, uh, people who have platonic relationships versus people who are married or, you know, have life partner Mm -hmm. type, type relationships. Um, And that's not to say that band relationships don't go deep because they do. And I think that they can often go deeper in many ways than a normal kind of, you know, purely social friendship can go. Um, But there is an added layer of challenge and also an added layer of depth that occurs in a musical collaboration with with a partner in that sense um and there have been times where it's very rewarding and really awesome and it's another way in which she and i can be connected that you know we wouldn't be able to have if we weren't both musicians and it can also be a challenge because we're bringing our home life into our creative life and vice versa. And I'm the first to admit that faith has been much better at having a 
healthy critical separation between those two than I've been able to do. So there's been a, a pretty steep learning curve for me to be able to figure out how to navigate both comfortably. And it's still, it's still hard. Um, but then again, there's also been times where, you know, we've had shared life experiences that are being dr- uh, addressed directly in the music. And it's been really healing for us to go through those things as a couple, but also go through those things as a partnership that's expressing them creatively. Um, I would say one of the, just more practically speaking, one of the other big differences is that for instance, with Sumac, I'm kind of the principal songwriter and I'm the, the director of the band in many ways. Whereas in Mammifer, it's completely the opposite. I'm, you know, taking a almost peripheral role, um, to an even uh, greater extent than say, you know, Brian and Nick who are in Sumac pretty integral um, and very, um, their contributions have a lot to do with shaping the sound. And I think that's true to some extent with Mammifer, but in a certain way, Faith has very specific ideas about what goes on in Mammifer, and I'm almost being used more as a tool in that context than than as um, a really um, more fully fledged collaborator. So, yeah, it's very different, and it's interesting. And there's, of course, a lot of other projects that we do together um, that <clears throat> the the creative partnership swings in different ways. Um, but I would say overall, it's definitely been beneficial for us more than a hindrance. Uh, and I'm extremely grateful to just have a partner who has her own thing going on as a very self-directed person, because I've been in relationships where, you know, one person has a lot going on and the other doesn't. And that always creates a fucked up equilibrium mm-hmm. or a lack of equilibrium. Um, and then the other, the other benefit I, I would add to this as well as being with someone else who is an artist is great because you both understand each other's need to be creative. And again, I've been in relationships where, you know, or witnessed other relationships with people I'm close to where one person is creative and the other is not. And the person who is creative and their drive to be creative sometimes becomes like an object or a cause for jealousy or just like a a lack of understanding between the two people involved. And it can be really, really problematic. Absolutely. The resentment and stuff like either. Yeah. I've, I've been there. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's intense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, relation, a dysfunctional relationship is awful, uh, um, uh, in many ways, but I can say from having been in a long-term relationship with someone who did not respect my creativity, it was really destructive for me and it really fucked me up and it fucked up my creative process. And I can't blame that on the other person entirely because I capitulated to their Mm -hmm. desires, but it did, it did make me very aware of how important it is to be with someone who, if they're not an artist themselves, at the very least has an appreciation for what that means for someone who is. Um, but fortunately in our case, Faith and I are both uh, very driven and, and um, very oriented towards an artist's life. Yeah. You, and you feel that you feel that 
the need you feel, she feels the same. And so it makes, it makes yeah. sense. It's, it's really, uh, it's really a beautiful thing what you guys have going. I mean, the output you guys do together is fantastic. Uh, you know, you have your son. Do you guys do you guys see eye to eye parenting wise as well? Yeah, most That's, of the time. Dude, you've got it made, bad. man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you know we were together for quite some years before we decided to have a child, and when we did decide finally to do it it was a very deliberate choice and you know we we went into it knowing that we wouldn't always agree but also making the agreement that we were going to do our best to to have a consensus on how to raise our child and to really work as partners um because i think both of us in different ways have experienced what it's like to be raised by parents who are at odds with each other. <laughs> it's not fucking cool. No. Um, Man. And also just having parents, you know, where they play different roles, like the good cop, bad cop scenario, like, you know, uh, that's, uh, that's not helpful either. So yeah. <laughs> we really try to, we really try to be as um, conscientious as we can about, um, you know, coming from the same place. And when we have discrepancies in our ideas, we deal with it with each other and not in the presence of, or, um, with our child as, as the fulcrum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude. Well, what, what do you have, what do you have coming out or coming up in the near future that you, that you want to talk about? Because I know, I mean, you're working on all kinds of stuff. I mean, with, you're saying with um, siege and everything else, but what, what do you have going on? Uh, so, so going back to our Bandcamp Friday discussion, mm -hmm. this coming Friday, February 5th is another Bandcamp Friday and we have five releases for Siege. Um, and some of them are things we're directly involved with. I've got a, a collaborative project with John Mueller and, um, we have an EP coming out on Siege this Friday. And that's kind of a precursor to an, a whole album we have completed. And then Faith has um, the fourth Barnett and Colochia uh, record coming out on the same day. So those are the two things that we're directly involved with. And then there's um, some other things coming out that day by people we've worked with regularly. Um, Daniel Menchie. Uh, solo release, uh, Marshall Trammell and Tashi Dorji collaborative release, and then the debut release by a percussionist named Tom Nagoyan. And um, all of these things, or at least most of them, we will, we will release in physical format later on, but the initial release is digital only and all benefiting mutual aid organizations. Awesome. Uh, so that's the most, the most immediate thing coming up. And then... Um, uh, there is a, another Sumac KG Hino record, which was recorded, um, in May of, I don't know if it was May of 2020 or May. Yeah, it was, I, no, I'm sorry. May, 2019. Uh, I believe it was. And we had the record mixed and our, our shortly going to master it so that'll be out sometime i hope this year as well excellent uh and then there's a whole slew of other things that are in various stages of um 
progress. So I okay. will predict completion dates on any of those. So that's kind of the the near future is the the siege stuff on Friday, and then I think the next bigger thing of my own that'll be out is uh, the Sumac Hino record. Okay, that's excellent news, man. That's good stuff. Good stuff coming. I've I I appreciate all the things you do, man. I have for for so many years, and I'm I'm stoked to have you on the podcast a second time. Uh, you know, going back through, just like who who are my favorite people to have on the show, and you were one of them. And I, I'm I'm so glad you were you were able to come back on and 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 have a chat, dude. And and um, yeah, I mean, thank you for for all the tunes and and just the inspiration over the years too. I mean, it's uh it's paramount, you know, it's, it's that stuff we were talking about. Like it's the stuff that yeah. that lifts you up, lifts you out of these things. Like I can put on, you know, anything you've done and, and find something in it that I can connect to. It's really interesting. Um, that's awesome. I'm glad know, to hear that. Thank you. And, uh, I really, I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. And, uh, I would love to have faith on the podcast too, because I am a huge fan of her. Um, I'll reach out to her um, and see, cause, okay. um, See if she's interested she, in it, but yeah, I I think that'd be awesome. That's, um, I would love to pick her brain about what she does and and the other side of what you guys do. You know what I mean? Because yeah, uh, it's such a cool partnership. It really is, and uh, yeah, man. Well, thanks for having me on again, and hopefully we can do it again in another couple of years. And at that point, hopefully we'll be out of this. <laughs> dismal place that we find ourselves currently with the pandemic yeah. and hopefully all the stuff that all the momentum that has been building up over the last year uh last year and a half will be leading towards some really positive changes on a societal level as well because uh, so, so much man <laughs> this, this this is an opportunity for change and there's a lot of people who are working towards it in very positive ways so we're 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 doing uh we're doing what we can to contribute and also just, you know, hoping for the best. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Well, dude, thank you so much again. And, and keep your head up, keep producing things and, and putting stuff in the world. I mean, that's that's the one thing you can you can do to just keep yeah, incrementally right. yeah. chipping away at the bullshit, you know, and yeah, what yeah. you're doing with your son and raising a good human being and and uh, just being a, a, a solid dude. I appreciate it, man. Well, likewise. Thank you very much, Dewey. All right, Aaron. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right. Be have well. a good one. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that part two episode with Aaron Turner from Isis, from Sumac, from Old Man Gloom, Siege Records. He's got all kinds of cool stuff coming out. Um, he's just he's just prolific. He's making some amazing music. He always has. Uh, and I'm just proud to be able to call him a buddy. You know, it, it, when the singer and guitar player of your favorite band is on your show twice, it's great. I mean, who could have asked for more? Um, and, you know, who knows? We'll do a part three. Who knows? We'll do a part six. I love talking with Aaron. He's a fantastic conversationalist, and he's got all sorts of uh, interesting ideas and, and cool takes on things. And, you know, it's a, this whole show is just something fun for me to do, and I love that you guys love it. Um, but in the end of the day, it's also something fun I get to do. So, um, just appreciate you guys are around for the ride and all the input you give and the effort and the time that you listen to the show. I love it. So lots of good stuff coming up. Uh, check out our sponsors. We've got classic grit Riley from, uh, thrice's company, the hardcore theme baseball merch. We've got uh, sweet drop CBD, which I take every day. 
It's the best stuff I've tried so far. Zero THC, uh, sweetdrop.com. Code is pleasure, all capitals, get you 20% off your order. Um, go check out SX Coffee Roasters. They still have that good riddance blend uh, at sxcoffeeroasters.com. Pleasure is the code for 10% off your order. That's Aaron from Bain and Be Well. <clears throat> and go check out writer Evan Robeson Studios uh, over on Instagram. My buddy Ryder has make, made me guitar straps, uh, front pocket wallets, all sorts of amazing leather goods. And he's one of the best people I know for 20-some years. He's just a good person. And I'm lucky to have so many great friends that are creating awesome things. And that being said, too, Stringjoy, my buddy Blake over at the Tone Mob podcast, is partnered with that company. And they're also partnered with me on the show. Stringjoy Guitar Strings, you can get custom gauge strings. Uh, It's awesome. You can tell them exactly what gauge you want each string, and they'll make the pack for you. Uh, That's something I don't see ever. And I love it. I have a custom string set. Uh, Hit me up if you want to know what those are. Uh, But go to stringjoy.com and get yourself some guitar strings. All right, guys. I'm going to get out of here. I got tons to do. Bringing you more episodes and working on a lot of cool stuff. A lot of stuff in the works. Going to do a really cool uh, Gilman East Bay month or so. A couple weeks. Coming up next week and the week after. It's going to be awesome talking to some really pivotal people there. And I'm stoked to bring it to you. That scene changed my life. Even though I was in Alaska during it, I was changed by it. And that's how I discovered punk rock. So, all right, guys, I'm going to get out of here. Thank you for coming back week after week. Rate and review the show. Go join the Peer Pleasure Podcast Inner Circle Facebook group. Go follow all of Aaron Turner's projects. And as always, we'll see you on the radio. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.